Our scripture is from Matthew 2, 10 to 11. I'll read. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. That's the word of God. Yes, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I have a question as we start this afternoon uh, for you. Have, have any of you guys ever camped out, um, like in line, to buy like concert tickets or something? Any, any of you guys yet? Raise your hand. I see one. Or, or maybe you've uh, camped out in front of the store to buy, you know, the latest Jordans <laughs> or iPhone or, or Samsung. I don't know. Um, I've never done that kind of thing. I think those are people, they're called uh, the, the uh, first, what are they called? The f- I put it in here somewhere. Where is it? First adopters. Yeah, thank you. Um, now, I've never done that sort of thing uh, myself, but I've seen it happen, you know, like driving around at night. I've seen like where, I, like I see a line starting to form late at night. I've seen tents, you know, being set up along the sidewalk and people getting ready for the sale to start the next day, right? They're ready. They need to get it. And I've always thought like, man, that's, that's weird. I couldn't believe it. But I, but I thought about it and I thought about myself. I was like, man, what, what weird thing did I used to do or do okay so in this case it's a thing I used to do when I was young um, if I saw like a uh, a pond in the middle of the forest and frogs in the middle of that pond I would go and I would walk into the pond like thigh deep into this water and it's not like crystal clear beautiful water like that you might see at some kind of you know beautiful lake or something like this is this is water that's like green and viscous, kind of like uh, like like chuk. You know what I'm talking about? The Korean rice porridge. Like this water is just so thick, so gross, and it's got like this sewage smell that like stings the back of your nose. But I would just I would go in there, and I didn't have the rubber um, waders. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. I don't think my parents wouldn't let me have that kind of thing. So I would just I would just go in pursuit of these frogs. At other times, I would, I would sit. I would like sit for hours and hours and hours in the pouring rain, you know, without rain gear, without a shelter, and I would just sit there as still as possible in, for hours and hours in the rain waiting for frogs to come out. Like I had this deep passion to catch frogs, and this was like almost like a week, a week, ba- like a week-to-week basis from late elementary school into middle, into middle school and even into high school. What do these illustrations have in common? People that are camping out at night, trying to get the newest iPhone, or picturing me, little John, <laughs> you know, walking into this gross, green, stinky water in pursuit of this frog. What's the thing in common in all of these? There's something worth the trouble, right? There's something worth the trouble. You go through incredible trouble to do something or to have something. Now these illustrations ultimately for us today are to ask a question, to what effort would you go to honor and worship 
the king. So as we continue in the theme uh, that we started at the beginning of this year, 2022, uh, and this theme right here that you see on this backdrop, and it's also a theme that we want to come back to uh, throughout the year, this theme of awe. The scripture passage that we read today, the, the Magi, the wise men, they are perhaps among the first characters that we've talked about since we began this series in awe, uh, who have awe right. And we see it evidenced by the great effort that they took to worship the true king. Their lives and their actions were in alignment with real reality, with like this kind of eternal reality. What we know is that the Magi, the, the, the wise men, they traveled. They traveled a distance. I know we don't know exactly how long. Scripture says that they are the wise men from the east. Uh, different scholars are trying like, try to think and speculate where that might be, like how far. And they even try to like, kind of propose different routes that they might have taken based on the geography at the time. But we don't know. Okay, so we, we, don't, we don't know how far they traveled, but we know that they did travel a distance and they were following a star. Have you ever tried to travel following a star? But they followed the star and they traveled over foreign lands. They traveled a distance uh, to get there. And what was happening is that they became aware of this great thing that God was doing and they responded. They took great care, great effort, great trouble, even great sacrifice to see a baby. But not only any baby, but the king and to worship the king. Second question for us this afternoon. Imagine yourself. Would you or I have made that trip to worship the king? Or would we have just stayed where we were? Let me give you a roadmap of what I want to try to do today because uh, roadmaps can be helpful. Um, first thing, I want to review some of the main ideas of awe. And we're taking, like, we're, we're, we're taking these ideas from this book written by Paul Tripp, uh, aptly titled Awe. So I want to review some of that. I want to go through the passage, Luke chapter 2, and compare and contrast how people responded to the arrival of the king. The third thing, I want to explore how this story applies to us and try to, try to explore like what, how, does that, how does that meet us and where we are in our awe and our worship. And the last thing I pray is that the Holy, through the Holy Spirit that we are inspired to awe the one true king. Amen? Okay, so awe. What is awe? These are some of the major, uh, the major points um, that are building the case of the importance of awe taken again from this book. The first thing is, Awe is a lifelong pursuit of everyone. We are hardwired for awe. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, how old you are, gender, age, culture, you know, how much you have in your bank account, whatever it is like that. Everybody is hardwired for awe. The second point is that God created 
an awesome world. It's an awe-filled world, and if you pause to think about it and observe and, and look, like I think one of the beautiful things about science is that it helps us to see how amazing things are. If you stop to think about it, just the intricacies of stuff, like, like stuff, like it, it's just the simple thing of you standing here, me standing here breathing, and that whole process, it's like, it's incredible. You think about like, we're standing on this earth and like it's a mass, a ball that's spinning at I don't know how many hundreds of miles an hour, floating around in space, spinning around another giant ball of fire. Like it's crazy. It's awesome. God created an awesome world. Number three, we have this incredible capacity for awe. And one of the things that I, that I really think is just so, uh, so simple to consider is you think about eating. We know that in, in order to survive, we have to eat, right? Like, you eat to survive, right? But, but man, just eating, like, the, the, the flavors, the textures, the emotions that we can have, like, the, the, this awe capacity that we have just in eating, like, it's incredible, right? We have an awe capacity an ability to take in awe and even to create and to produce awe-inspiring things. And the last thing, where we look for awe, what we seek for in this awe desire will shape the direction of our lives. And I think this final point is kind of basically what we're kind of looking at each week as we explore this topic of awe and what we're going to do today, right? So now we get to our passage in Luke chapter 2. If you guys uh, remember, so I, it's, it's Christmas time. If you guys, we talked about the, the Daily Prayer Project, and it's like a Christmas thing. Christmas tide, it continues. Uh, it's a season of the calendar. And we know the story of the Magi, of the wise men, and that whole, uh, that whole, uh, that whole narrative. Um, but... Let's, let's look at this. And I want to read um, from Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. Uh, when they, and that's talking about the wise men from the east, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So these wise men from the east, they see the star, this is what we know, they see the star, and they know somehow that it is a sign of the birth of a king. And so then they show up in Jerusalem. But there's another king there already. There's the Roman-appointed kind of puppet king, King Herod. He's there. He hears about these wise men that are coming, and he's like, what are they, what are they talking about? And so King Herod, he gathers up the religious leaders in, 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 in the town, and he's like, hey, what the heck is going on? What king? They answer. And then Herod, secretly, he gathers the wise men. He's like, hey, guys, hey, guys, this is where the king is supposed to be. This is, this is where the, the, the Messiah is supposed to be born. So why don't you guys go there? You look for him. Once you find him, come back and tell me because I got to worship too, okay? Right? That's, that's the story. And so then the magi, they go. And the star leads them. The star takes them to where Jesus is. And they are overjoyed. They fall down 
and they worship. But then after that, in a dream, they're warned. They're like, hey, don't go back to Herod. Don't go back to Herod, just go home. And so they went home a different way. Herod, he finds out, and he is furious. He's so mad, so filled with anger and hatred that he orders that all the male children in that town under the age of two years old to be murdered. Dang. It's the same scene, right? The star, the child. For the wise men brought exceeding joy, and then for another, for King Herod, it brought out a murderous, hateful rampage. What is happening here? What we see is there are two kings, right? There's King Herod and there's King Jesus. Herod, we can see that he has stacks of atrocities recorded in the Bible and outside of the Bible in ancient um, uh, documents. He was not a good king. There's actually, there's, there's a, they, what they say is that the last thing that he did when he was on his deathbed, what he did was he ordered that all of the noble men in that city to be gathered together and killed the day after he dies so that all the people would mourn instead of rejoice. It's a crazy kind of manipulation, right? King Herod. And then there's King Jesus who though he was hated, did not hate, who even in his suffering did not fight back, did not strike back, but he lived what he thought, right? Turned the other cheek, bore our sins in his body, the one who rules with love, compassion, and the cross. King Herod, King Jesus. And you know what? It doesn't really matter what you and I think of King Herod, but how we respond to Jesus makes all the difference in the world. And from our passage, we see that there are three choices. We can see that there were three choices of how people responded to Jesus. They responded in indifference, or in hostility and hatred, or they bowed down in worship. Indifference. This was the choice of the religious leaders. So if we go back to the story, right? The wise men, they came. They came to Jerusalem because they, they knew that there was a new king, and they thought, okay, we got to go to Jerusalem because that's the city of the king. So obviously that's where the king is going to be. So they go to Jerusalem. And King Herod is there, and he's, he doesn't like what he's hearing. He gathers up the religious leaders, and the teachers, the religious leaders, they know, they know God's word. They know scripture. They know it inside and out. When, when Herod asks them, hey, where is the uh, promised one, the promised Messiah? Where is he supposed to be born? They don't have to go and look it up. They don't have to Wikipedia. They know it. It's all there. Like they know by heart scripture. And they just tell him, as it says in Matthew, uh, it, as it says in Micah, that he is to be born in the city, in the town of Bethlehem, of the land of Judah. They know this. And they also know that there are these foreigners, these people that have come saying that the star is there, that the king has arrived, and that they're going to go to worship. They know this. And what do they do? As far as we can tell, 
these religious leaders, they just went right back to burying their heads in the scriptures. They didn't care. They were indifferent. And so was the rest of Jerusalem, actually. We see in verse 3, when Herod heard the news of what the wise men were doing, when he heard the news, he was greatly troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. So all of the people, all of Jerusalem, they know, hey, these foreigners are here. They're saying this. It's supposed to be in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. It's not that far. And no one goes to check it out. There was just this vast indifference. You and I, we live in a world of indifference. Outside the church, for sure, but also inside the church. Like, if you've been in church any amount of time, like, you know, we, like, we know, we know the facts, we know the story, we know Jesus was born in Bethlehem, like, you know, like we're talking about. We know that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived this life, this amazing life of miracles, that he died on the cross, and that he rose from the grave, that he rose from the grave, rose from the dead, and we're like, meh. You know, we, like, like, like we, can't be, we can't be bothered by it. Like, yeah, I know, I know. But maybe more precisely, maybe more precisely what it is is that we, we don't want our kingship to be disturbed. Now, I said in this story that there are two kings. There's King Herod, there's King Jesus. But you know what? Like all of us, we want to be kings of our own lives, don't we? Maybe that's what it is. We don't want our kingship to be disturbed, and like maybe maybe COVID is bringing some of that out in, in us. And I'm not like there's there's tragedy involved in COVID, but for a lot of us, just in our normal day to day life, COVID has just become annoying. But it's revealing things, and this is not everything, but it's something. Like you know, it's just it's just such an easy excuse, man. Like Sunday comes around, like ah, you know what? I got I got better things to do. It's not everything, but it's definitely something. So there's indifference, and then there's hostility. We can respond as Herod did and choose to hate Jesus, to hate Jesus and everything associated with him, his followers, his teachings, his church, his kingdom. And we see that today, don't we? If you're like me, something you go and you look at things online and you can see on social media, on comments, like people like just, there's just so much, so much, I don't know, words, <laughs> so much anger, so much hatred, and so much of it is coming from like these like so-called like intellectuals. You know, and philosophers and people who want to bring light into this dark world. Like, there's so much of it, and there's so much hatred against Jesus and his kingdom. But why is that? And I was reading through uh, some commentaries, and I thought this was a great quote. An intelligent person only attacks what he knows to be a real threat to his way of thinking. And more importantly, his way of living. And Jesus is such a threat. See, Herod was threatened. Herod was threatened. And he did 
what he did. Because here's the thing. If Jesus is king, it means that you are not. It means I am not. Jesus is a real threat to anyone and everyone who thinks seriously about him. If I don't, you guys know Jordan Peterson? I don't know how or why, but in the last couple years, somehow his videos started popping up in my YouTube feed, and I, I've, I've looked at some of his stuff. I don't know a whole lot about him. Uh, I, as far as I can tell, I, I don't think he's a believer. But he shared something. I was looking at this video, and you know, using his kind of trademark intellectual framework, he, he shared something, and basically what he's talking about is the genuineness of who Jesus is or, or the claims of who Jesus is, and that's what he's talking about. And he said this thing with genuine soberness. What he said was, the problem is, and he's talking about himself, the problem is that I probably believe that. I probably believe the claims that Jesus makes about himself, the claim that the Christian church makes about Jesus. The problem is, I probably believe that, but I don't know. I'm amazed at my own belief. I don't understand it. And then he continues, but I still don't know what to make of it. it is, it's too, partly because what he says is it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen to you if you fully believed. Now, there's an element of awe when I hear him say this, there's an element of awe, you know, as he admits this stuff, but what he also admits is that he's not ready to give himself up. If Jesus is king, it means that we are not. Amen. And it means that we can no longer live our lives as though we're sitting on the thrones of our little kingdoms. So we can respond in indifference, in hostility, or we can bow down in worship. The wise men, they worshiped. Their awe was in the right place. They gathered their treasures, they traveled, and they laid their treasures down at the feet of Jesus to the king. But I want us to think about this because I think and maybe this was a normal thing back then in the ancient Near East, but I want us to think about this thing because I think it helps us in where we are today, okay, for a little bit of context. Now, the Magi, the wise men, they went to worship the king, right? Now, Jesus was a baby. He was born a king, so he's already a king, but he's a baby. And, and he's not like boss baby, if you've seen this. Like, Jesus is not going to get up and start doing stuff in his diapers. This is not what happened, right? He's king already, but he's still just a baby. And it was going to be a long time before Jesus was going to do anything kingly, do anything messiahly. And so the, the, the wise men, in their worship, there was a huge element of faith in what they could not see, right? Now, they had a promise and that they were at least vaguely aware of, you know, that this Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one, and kind of vague idea of what that would mean. But see, at that point, he's a baby. And so there was a necessary waiting. The Magi, they came to worship. And then I imagine that the rest of their lives must have been marked by a profound waiting 
to see what this King Jesus was going to become. There wasn't already, but not yet. Theologian, we love this. And, and, and man, if we're going to be thinking about our faith, we have to start grasping this thing and, and grappling with it. There wasn't already, but a not yet. Now, for us today, we know, I pray, that we believe Jesus is the Messiah, right? Again, that he was born, that he lived the life that we could not live in perfect obedience to God, in this loving kindness, in, 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 in humble service. This is the life that he lived, and then he died. He died the death that we deserve, right, for us, for us. And we know it, and we believe it, right, that Jesus has paid for your and my justification. Now, this is a kind of a big uh, Christian word, justification. Jesus, in his death, has paid for our justification. This is a kind of a, a legal term. Though we are sinful and though our sin deserves the death sentence, Jesus paid for that debt. In his death, he paid that debt. That's what justification is, okay? It's, it's a thing. It's done. Jesus did it. He has justified us already it's done deal but then again there's a not yet jesus is king he's resurrected from the dead he's seated at the right hand of god the father almighty and yet his kingdom is not fully revealed and yet you and i still live in sin like we have been saved right we have been saved, and yet we still live in this sin that wrecks our hearts and lives. We still live in this broken world. This is the not yet. His kingdom is here already, but not yet in fullness. So somewhat like the wise men, there is a necessary waiting in the lives of believers. There's a third question for us this afternoon. How are you and I living between the already and the not yet? How are you and I living between the already and the not yet? Now, most of us sitting here And joining us on YouTube uh, probably don't have a deep hatred or hostility towards Jesus. You might be angry, you might be disappointed, but I don't think most of us here probably have a deep hatred towards him. I mean, you got, you, we, we came here voluntarily, right? You're here, you're joining us on YouTube, you're checking this out, right? And most of us here also came here specifically to worship. Right? But if we can examine ourselves a little bit deeper, how many of us, for how many of us does our worship actually look more like indifference than actual worship? If we could examine ourselves, our attitudes, our thought patterns, our hopes, our worship, how many of us are actually more indifferent? 
Now, part of it is familiarity, I think. Like, you know, you've heard it said. You see it on the billboard. You see it on the bumper sticker. Jesus loves you. You've heard it. And it's like, yeah, I know. Jesus died for you. Yeah, I know, but, but still, my life. So what? And so for many of us, amazing grace doesn't sound so amazing anymore. It's not good news. It's tired news. It's familiar news, and it no longer invokes in us this deep awe that it's supposed to. I think a lot of us, we take for granted the reality that Jesus came and lived this life. We take for granted, I think, that through his death on the cross, that he won the greatest victory in all of eternity. And he's coming back. But a lot of us, we take this for granted, don't we? Now, I love movies. If you love movies, I'm just imagining a movie, something like Braveheart. Does anyone here love Braveheart? You know, these kind of, these epic movies, Braveheart and, 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 and Gladiator. I know that a lot of movies today are like kind of trying to be that, but I feel like they're trying to be, but not quite. It's my opinion. But a movie kind of like that, okay? So I'm just imagining a movie. If you can imagine it with me, there's this movie set in those days, and there's this king. And this king is an awesome, he's, a, he's an awesome king. He's a good king. He's, 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 he's truly wonderful. He's loved and respected by his kingdom, by the people, and for good reason, because he's the kind of king who earns the devotion of his people because he loves them and he protects them. Okay, can you imagine this kind of king? Now, as the movie, movie progresses, you know, as it heightens into some, the parts of the, of the movie and the drama, like, there's a battle, and the king has to go and fight this battle to defend, and, to defend his people, to keep them safe. And the, and the king has to go into battle. And so the king goes into battle as he has done time and time again. He goes into battle. And it's this, it's this you know, <laughs> crazy battle. Okay. And, and he is victorious. Okay? It's a happy movie so far. The king is victorious. He wins the battle. Meanwhile, in the kingdom, they catch news. They hear about the victory. They hear about the battle. They hear about the king's victory, and their hearts are swelling up with pride again. Man, our king is awesome. And they know that the king and his army are coming back. They're returning to the kingdom. And so what's the, what's the kingdom going to do? They're going to get ready, right? They're going to prepare for this great homecoming, this great celebration, okay? So if you can imagine with me again, this movie, you got camera, it's panning around, and you see the various faces of the people in the kingdom, and what you see in their eyes, in their hearts, like you see this deep love and admiration and expectation. They're waiting, they're looking over the hill, is the king coming, is the king coming? And the first sign, like the flag coming over the hill, they're like, ah, the, the people are just erupting. They can't wait to see the king. But now imagine with me, the camera then flips to another room. And now we're looking inside this kind of this dark room. There's a window, and so you can hear the people screaming, cheering in the background. But the camera is inside this building, and it pans over to this guy just sitting there, drinking a beer, eating chips. And he hears the sound of the thunderous crowd, and he kind of looks up at the window, and he gives out a big yawn. Like he doesn't care. And then maybe the camera flips to another person and you see this other person just fr frantically at work. 
Like, what's this person working at? Is he, is he preparing something? I keep saying he. Sorry about that. But so this person, right? This person's frantically at work doing something. Is this person working to prepare for the king's arrival? Is that what's going on? No, we just find out this person's just working. Just doing what the person does to, you know, make money. Like, what would each of these people say? I don't know, one person might be like, yeah, so, you know what, so what, man? The king, king doesn't care about me. He's, you know, king does all that stuff, glory, whatever. He doesn't, the king doesn't care about me. Or maybe the person would be like, oh, yeah, 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 I know, I know. Yeah, the king's awesome, yeah, I know. king's great. Yeah, 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 I know, this is awesome. He fought the battle, did that thing for awesome. But eyes never coming off the TV. I'm messing up the genre here, TV. Okay, but never, eyes never come off the, the computer monitor looking at the stocks. And eyes never come off of, you know, the, the, the beautiful homes or the fashion or whatever it is, whatever the stupid videos. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 I know, I know. I know the king, he's awesome. Now, maybe that's kind of too extreme of an illustration. I don't know, but is that some of us? just disinterested, indifferent, way more captured by lesser things, confused about what really matters? Because I think that's probably what's actually closer to the truth for a lot of us today. Many of us are just confused. You guys know when you're confused about something or you don't have enough information about something, there's, there's this thing called the principle of indifference. And I'm probably using this principle wrong, but I'm going to do it anyways because, because it helps me. Um, but what it says is if you don't know, it's like a statistics probability kind of thing that they use. Um, but when a person is confused, the principle of indifference pushes you to compromise. And so... For us, when it comes to worshiping with our lives, when it comes to pursuing holiness and living our lives for the glory of Jesus, when it comes to intimacy with God versus giving into temptation, versus that, like living our lives for Jesus versus just life of sin and pattern of sin and compromise and compromise and compromise. Confusion kind of pushes us to compromise. And don't get me wrong, guys, I'm talking about me. So many of us are living in confusion. So many of us have never understood God's agenda between the already and the not yet. And as a result, our faith has not rescued us, our faith has not encouraged us, has not protected or comforted or guided us. Many of us are lost in the already but not yet. Here's a hint into this thing. I mentioned justification earlier, okay? Justification. If justification is an event that secures our forgiveness and acceptance with God, if that's what justification is, then sanctification is a process 
that works out the radical transformation in our lives and in our hearts. This lifelong process is Jesus' focused zeal and passion between the already and the not yet. It's God's ongoing work to change and grow you, to complete the good work that he has begun in you. Are you tracking with me? Sanctification is this process of the life of the believer between the already and the not yet. How does this relate to awe? Basically, it's sin. Sin wrecks this thing. Sin, we know this, sin makes us lawbreakers. Now, this is a little bit cheesy. This is taken from the book. It's cheesy, but it's also sticky to help us remember. More foundational than the law-breaking the thing that is more foundationally destructive in our hearts is that sin makes us awe-breakers. It distorts our ability and our direction for awe. Sin changes how our hearts operate. So instead of our hearts being filled with the vision of Jesus and his glory, instead our vision is filled with just us. Because of sin, awe of God is very quickly replaced by awe of self. Sin has kidnapped your awe and put you in the center of your awe. Can you guys imagine with me uh, that you have a computer virus? If you guys have had computer virus, you can imagine this, right? But imagine that you have this virus that hacks into your system and into like your internet stuff. And let's just imagine that every time you type anything into the internet search, it just gives you you. <laughs> you can imagine that. Like, what's happening in Seoul today? doesn't matter, you're more important than soul. I don't know, it's just kind of a silly example, but like, like seriously, if you can just try to imagine like that everything, whatever it is that you look up, that you try to seek, everything just only kept ever pointing back to you, convincing you that you are the center. Can you imagine this? And that the continuous use of that computer, if you were to comp continue to only use that computer, pretty soon you would just have a really distorted view of the world, a really distorted view of yourself. And you would be in bondage to yourself. Sin has kidnapped our awe and put us in the center. And so what spiritual growth is, what sanctification is, is about recapturing our awe. Can you say that with me? Recapturing our awe. The gospel, the gospel is that Jesus not only died for your forgiveness, but also died for your growth and transformation. 
He died so that in between the already and the not yet, we would become progressively like him. Are you guys, are you guys catching this? Because I, I know, like for myself, I, I, I miss this. I forget about this all the time. I just, I, I'm thinking about one aspect only and I'm forgetting about the other. Jesus has given us salvation through his grace and through his mercy and it is both. It is, uh, it is justification and it is also sanctification. Our lives becoming more and more and more and more like him. And it's only through Jesus. And so I know I've got to close. I, like today, I'm going, going long. Let me read this. Um, because of our awe brokenness, Jesus had to come. He had to come. He had to rescue us because we can't fix it ourselves. We can't rewire our hearts that have been kidnapped to be self-centered. Jesus had to come to rescue us. And Jesus rescues us from these hearts that are bent on seeking fulfillment in everything that cannot fulfill us and rescued us into acceptance, into his presence, rescued to be people who live in a moment-by-moment life of awe of Jesus. So at the start of today, at the start of the sermon today, I asked about, you know, who, who stood, who stand in line for concert tickets or the new Jordans or whatever, or me in my case, standing around in stinky ponds for frogs. To what extent would you go to worship? Now, first thing is we, have, we all have a decision to make. Who is your king? And this is another way of saying where is your all, Okay. The object of your awe, that's, that's king, okay? The object of your awe, that's king. Who is your king? And I want to ask us today, I want to challenge us today, would you decide today to worship the king of kings? Whatever it takes. We know Jesus has given everything for us at the cross and at every moment, by his spirit, in between the already and the not yet, into eternity. Would you guys, would you decide with me, King's Cross, would you decide today to live in awe of the king, for he is worthy of everything? I want to give us some time uh, to respond, um, can you just, can we spend some time and go uh, before the Lord and if the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, would you just spend a moment and consider that and bring that to him and say, man, what, God, what is this? Speak to me. Speak to me.
Can we spend some time also in repentance? Because, you know, self-centeredness, you know, that, that awe of self, it can look like pride and vanity on one hand, and it can also look like unrelenting shame and self-loathing on the other. In both cases, they are completely self-focused and leave zero room for awe of God. Can we go and repent of our self-centeredness? If you've been living in indifference, if you've been living in confusion, in compromise, if you have just been giving yourself over to temptation, you know, whatever it is, if it's gossip or, or slander or complaining or lust or anger, whatever, like whatever it is, can we repent? C.S. Lewis said once, he said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Let's pray to find that desire, that sense that no pursuit for any other thing or experience in this world can ever satisfy this deeper, eternal desire, can we pray that we would begin to sense our need for the Lord? Can we ask the Lord to lift your heart to see that the greatest good, the greatest pleasure the greatest goal to live our lives for is eternity with him. God, I know, I think, I know, I think I know that many of us have been living just lives of confusion. We're not sure how to live this life between the already, what you've done, and the not yet. That you're coming back, but man, but, but, but how do I live? Would you speak today, God? Would you inspire us? Holy Spirit, Jesus, Jesus you, you paid for us. And you, you put in us the Holy Spirit as a seal. Holy Spirit, would you... Arise in us and stir in the hearts of your people to desire you, God, over and over and way above all other things. And I pray that today that many would commit, if it's for the first time or if it's again, we commit our lives to you, Jesus. 
For it is in you, Jesus, in you we hope, in you we trust, in you we rest, and it is in you that we are transformed. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.